and see if we can analyze this and sympathize with poor Moses and Aaron and the good people and get into the drama of things. We need to go further, beloved. We need to say, Lord, could it happen to me? Can I turn out to be in a Byram, a Dason, or Korah and have the earth open up and swallow me? What led to that and how can I avoid that at all costs? Well, they become, they had become proud. They began to question. God never said, don't ask questions. What he said was, don't ask foolish questions. God is a good God. He'll explain everything we need to know in his time. He doesn't delight in hiding things and playing peekaboo. He's a living God who speaks to us gently and discloses all that we need to know at the right time. We can trust God. Having trusted God, how do these people open the door to Satan? How does Satan come into the camp? Did he come through the east where Judah was camped? Did he come through the south or the west or the north? in the formation of these tribes of a couple of million people going forward every time the cloud moved, they had to move. God didn't forsake his people. Because within a couple of days after coming out of the Red Sea, seeing that great miracle, they began to grumble. I don't like this job. It's too hot here. Food is bad. God began to burn in anger and he let Moses know he said I'm going to wipe them out he put up with them for a while then eventually he said I have to wipe them out Moses knew oh Lord my God these people are stiff necked Lord they came through Lord with me and I'm so grateful to you Lord I'm trembling with joy and thanksgiving what happened to them Satan came in Satan put a thought and said you're hot you're hungry. You miss Egypt already. Thoughts came in and they voiced it and they told each other. Just like fear is contagious, so murmuring and complaining can become a plague among God's people. The Lord help us not to be the ones who carry the disease and pass it on. But the people who counter it and say, stop it. God is so good to us. We need to trust God. Not blame him. And so they began to complain and it got to the point where they said, who's this Moses anyway? Who does he think he is? Giving orders and we have to do what he says. And Oh, Satan found some people. He found some people. He said, this is prime time. I'm going to put on a drama now. I know I'm going to kill these people. They don't know it. They're going to be my puppets because they want to be my puppets. But I will squash them in the end. I will laugh when the earth opens up. Ha ha, he he. You believe the lie. Now you got to bite the dust. Goodbye. But you see, when the drama was happening, they thought they were in charge. I'm the man. I'm the woman. They said, Moses... You're not the only one with the Holy Spirit, Moses. We got the Holy Ghost too. What? You think you are the only one who can prophesy? We got a couple of prophets here too. In fact, let's have a showdown, Moses. Toe to toe, head to head. Let's go. You want to play ball? We got a couple of guys here we think can take you. God stepped in and said, Moses, it's over for them. Because Moses, they're not speaking against you. All the grumbling and rumbling that's happening in the tent, well, it's coming out now. You see, we cannot hide sin. I'm thankful to God for that. Because that brings a, a sense of reality and godly fear that no matter what we do in private, God says, it's right in front of me. You can't hide anything from me. And I will bring it out sooner or later. 
but somehow they fell for the lie that I actually can hide it. Like the people into pornography. Very clever. They got a hold on the technology. They have a hold on so many things. They thought, you know, if I if I know how to work the system and have enough passwords and complicated system, and then the FBI walks out with the computers and they have a way to get into all the images that were erased. And aren't you glad, beloved, with all the rebellion that we were a part of, every one of us, because there was a time when we didn't know God, and God said, at that time we were enemies of God. In various ways we manifested hate toward God and God's people. Did you ever hate God? Most people say, no. No, not me. You know, I always loved God. But God said, if you love me, you'll do what I said. Did we always do what he said? That means we didn't really love him. So people's alibis and excuses are exposed in broad daylight by God's word. And we have to come to the conclusion, Lord, I didn't always love you. And anyone who says otherwise is lying through their teeth. The good news is, the glad news is, at some point we admitted, Lord, I'm an alien to your family. Would you take me, Lord? I'm coming to the cross. I want that blood to wash me, make me your own. In the New Testament, in the very same book of Corinthians, where there was chaos and yet supernatural activity, they're really born again. Paul records that they were all baptized in the sea. They came through under the cloud. What happened to these fellows? Not only them, their wives and their children. They're all in it together. That's why they all perish together. And so God said, they're murmuring against me when I did so much for them. They're complaining against me. So he said, Moses, it's not really against you, even though they don't like you. When they don't like you, they're talking about you. They're talking about me and against me. So they want a showdown, I'll give them a showdown. And so God gave Moses the direction to tell them, okay, bring your guys, bring your censors, your so-called holy censors, and you want to kindle a fire, you want to imitate priests and do the whole thing? You come out and we'll come out, we'll see. And Moses told them ahead of time. You see, he was a prophet. He said, if you die an unnatural death, uh, like the earth opens up or something, you know, and you go down, well, if that happens, you know who's on God's side. They said, let's go. No such thing ever happened, Moses. You're just bluffing. You're just talking. Earth is going to open up. When did you see the earth open up last? And swallow people. Alive? Come on. It happened. Can you imagine the screams of the families? Screaming as they went down into that they went down alive into the grave. And then it closed up. It was over. But you see, Satan is so influential in people who have open doors that after witnessing this horrible thing, there were another group of people, in fact, many of them, who started complaining again and said to Moses, you have killed the Lord's people. Wait a minute. Didn't you watch... These guys were rebels and they came against God's servant and then God stepped in and God opened the earth. Moses didn't open the earth up. God did it. So you think they're good? If God judged them and killed them on the spot? They were so deluded. They said, they were good. They were God's people. And Moses, you killed them. And God had to send something else to take care of them. Has God changed, beloved? Can any one of us be honest and say, well, the God of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and 
he's, he's different now. You see, he's a little bit more lenient, I think. And he, he, he doesn't let people die and destroy them. I think he's changed. Because I see Christ in the manger. I see and hear people singing Christmas carols. and I like Easter. And uh, everything's nice and civil, you see. Not too much commotion and destruction. I know about Noah's flood. What an epic time. I, I shudder to think about it. Thank God we're all over with that. We're, it's brand new now, brand new chapter. Grace, mercy, peace, and love. And yet, the Lord Jesus said, in his wonderful ministry of grace, do not fear those who can kill the body. Oh, thank you, Lord. I don't have to live in fear. Because you protect me, right? My body is protected by you. No matter what I do. The Lord didn't finish. He said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Rather fear him who, after he kills the body, can take the body and the soul and throw somebody into hell. He said, you better fear my father. Why this talk? Why can't you just say, look, love one another be in harmony, mow each other's grass, feed each other, say nice things about one another, build the morale up. You want to be unified. Don't talk about sin and hell and judgment and, and uh, disobedience. These are things that people don't want to hear today. So if you want to have a congregation and a community effort, Say the right words. Be politically correct. And that's why the Lord was killed. And death couldn't hold him. He rose on the third day, but he was killed because he was not politically correct. Among who? The Romans? No. Among the people of God. So we could join with people who are politically correct, according to the devil's politics, and be careful. Don't offend him. Don't offend her. Don't say anything bad. If you see something, don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Say nice things. At what point do we stop saying nice things and tell the truth so that things can change and we can save lives? Well, in the book of Corinthians, strange things were happening. Gross immorality. Petty fights jealousies and feuds and strife and who knows, fistfights. Paul said, what is going on here? You've been saved by the blood of the Lamb and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Basically saying, what's wrong with you? What happened? Paul had to say, you better repent. Whoever is doing the wrong thing, God sees it. You know what? My spirit also is being told by God. And even though I'm absent physically, look at that, Paul's not God. He's not Jesus. What's happening to Paul? Maybe there's some people in Corinth who are questioning, who does Paul think he is, Superman? I mean, he can be here at the speed of whatever, faster than a locomotive, and he can appear in different places. And No, he's just speaking just like Philip experienced in a measure. He just disappeared like Elijah. Paul said, when you are having the judgment there, things are happening, activities, Paul says, my spirit is there too. I'm part of the judgment. There's an authority that is entrusted into the hands of those God prepares, refines, purges, commissions, endows, anoints. That's beyond what you see in status quo Christianity. It's not about committee and democratic meetings and boards and the Holy Spirit's involved. And the number one thing he's concerned about is not even evangelism. He wants to know if the body of Christ is clean, first of all. 
He wants to know if the bride is pure or has she become a prostitute. The bride of Christ becoming a prostitute? How does that happen? Very easily. By fornicating with the world. How do you fornicate with the world? What does that mean? Is that something metaphorical? Oh, it simply means that you watch the shows that the world watches. You say the same jokes and you laugh at the same things. You dress like the world. You talk like the world. You act like the world. But when you come to church, sometimes you bring the world there too. But some people make a good job. They do a good job of covering up that worldly part. The problem is, as I said in the beginning, we cannot hide anything. It'll come out. Be sure your sin will find you out. So there are ages that will come into the church that Satan will send presumptuously to corrupt the bride. And the people who are genuinely born again, who are not guarding their hearts, and keeping their eyes on Jesus, they'll become enamored and they say, oh, where did you get that? How did you do that? Once again entangled into the love of the world. It's an affair all over again. Oh, I love God. I'm a Christian. Don't judge me. Just because I went to the movies and watched that ugly thing. I'm free. I'm saved. Don't judge me by the clothes I wear and the way I carry myself. Don't judge me. That's fine to say if we're not doing something that doesn't displease God. But could it be that we may not be all that pleasing to God and we're discovering as we grow? Praise be to God. Somebody posed a question about meekness and humility on the Bible Q&A. It begins there. Whenever an accusation comes, we ought to pause before responding to ask ourselves in the presence of God, Lord, have I done what they said I did? Am I a negative influence on somebody, Lord? Am I corrupting people, Lord? Now, it may happen Knowingly or unknowingly, but the effect is still not good. So once you get back to first initial stage, in other words, if somebody says, you did this on purpose and we really didn't do it on purpose, that's something to contend with because that's a big issue. Motivationally, God wants to know that it was an accident or something we misunderstood we're clear before God in that angle, but not from the damage, you see. And so we must confess that to the Lord and get it right with people also. But what if the intention itself was not good? It makes it even worse. The bottom line is, I have to ask myself, and so do you, if we are worth our salt as believers. Am I doing anything at all, Lord, by the way I talk, by the way I dress, by the way I carry myself? Lord, is there any anything in my conscience at all? Do I have any alarm bell there? Am I dead inside? And I like to just romp around and stamp my feet down and, well, I'm me, and you better accept me the way I am. Otherwise, you're not a good Christian One day we will face the judge of all judges. We will not be able to utter a word. And the Bible says, better we judge ourselves now so that we won't need to be judged later. So it's a great thing when we have, whether sincere pastors or sincere fellow believers, to give us counsel and advice and be humble and think about it. Now, if it's a false accusation, and then we need to take that to the Lord and perhaps even get that set right with others to let them know. But may we not miss the details here because it's important. Uh, somebody that accidentally steps on someone's toes in a crowded subway train and the other person is furious. 
I've mentioned this before. I've seen it actually happen. And it comes to blows. The person wants to grab the other person because in that person's mind, you stepped on my foot on purpose. And the other person is thinking, it's so crowded here. I had no intention of stepping on your foot, let alone soil your brand new sneakers. And so it was an accident. Well, I suppose that's the main thing. But because I'm clear in that regard that I didn't intentionally do this, and the person thinks I did, and it really bugs me so much, has damage been done? You see, I can get so hung up on the first part that I don't understand the second part. I don't want to understand it. God says, no, you have to check out and make sure you attend to the former without neglecting the latter. I want to make it right. I'm clear on this count, but maybe not on this one. I want to make it right. The Corinthians were quite proud. and That's why Paul had to increase his degree of warning to the point that he had to say that I have to come a second time and when I do come the next time you're not going to like it. That's what Paul said. He was a small man by stature according to tradition and even from the epistles that he was not very impressive in his appearance. But he was a powerful man of God. Not because he just had authority, somebody ordained him somewhere and he's got all these churches under him. No, he had the real power from God. He had real power from heaven. And so he could deliver what he said. He said, when I come next time, it's not going to be pleasant. Some of you are going to be condemned forever. He had to say that. The Apostle of Love, who after all penned the First Corinthians 13 chapter of Love. And the people who understood the gravity of the warning, they might have said among themselves, Paul's not playing. Which means God is not playing. He's, he's, he's been watching us and it's, it's not good. We better repent. But there are always those who say, hmm, who does he think he is? But you're going to scare us, Paul, with the letter? Come on, come face to face, let's see. What could get into a person to become arrogant and proud and presumptuous to the point where they challenge God and God's servants? Well, there were people who did that to Paul, of course, even to the Lord Jesus. Judas thought he was slick. He thought, I'm stealing right in front of Jesus, and he doesn't even know. He was so deceived, he thought, he doesn't know. I'm getting away with murder, and I've been doing it for a while. And you know, the disease has gotten me so bad that I'm actually going to go to his enemies and get more money from them. Oh my. The danger of hardening one's heart because of pride. It can lead to all sorts of behavior that we'll regret. But if I keep a tender heart, Josiah was such a person, a tender conscience that when God speaks something, it tears me up and I take action. Lord, not me, Lord. I don't want to be that. Lord, help me, help me, help me, Lord. I wasn't intending to speak this morning. In fact, it was the very last second. And maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe ten of you, maybe more, Maybe thinking, you know what? He's talking about me. And the truth is, no one's being talked about intentionally. However, if it applies, then we ought to be grateful to God because He wants to correct something and protect us and heal us and revive us. Many, many different angles the Spirit of God will address things which 
the servant of God won't know fully or sometimes nothing at all but again why did I begin with Corinthians that's what the Lord gave on the spot you see it's a takeoff point of application for us as believers how do you conduct yourself how do I conduct myself in the house of God when we say the house of God it's not, not just the physical building or the gathering we're talking about our life every day because we are the house of God we meet in the physical house of God together collectively but then we are the temple of God wherever we are at your workplace you are part of the temple it's like the stone when we went to see the uh, artifacts in the Bible Museum in Washington D.C. we saw an actual uh, a block a stone block from the second temple period it's massive not nearly as massive as some of the other stones that are there but it's quite weighty I don't know how I don't know if it's a ton or two tons it wasn't very big but solid now can anyone say well that's not part of that wall or that temple area no they have proof for that various ways in which they date that back to that time in the era can anyone look at you or look at me whether we're here or in the park or in the shopping mall or school or work can they say oh no no you're not part of this you're not a church no I'm, I'm actually part of it oh you mean an organization no the living body of Christ when you see me I'm, I'm actually part of the stones that make up the whole temple spiritual temple of God that's what God said but can they recognize that you're from the temple the body of Christ if not that means Satan has moved in bottom line that's that's what it is because if we're not representing God there's no neutral zone when people say I represent me I don't believe in God they're representing Satan there's no neutral ground Jesus says either you're for me or against me there's no middle ground if we don't represent the Lord in holy behavior holy dress holy talk certain things uh, even a child knows universally you see children have to be taught many times to dress in an immoral way through the media through relatives through friends they have to be taught to manifest certain immoral behavior and the innocent child they're 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 lost they just look around they don't know anything and first it's a shock and they're confused and but they quickly learn that well this is what we do this is what we do you act worse than animals and you dress like this and you talk like this no difference but I'm holy inside can we be holy inside act and dress in an unholy way outside is it possible we could but then that'll prove that we're not holy inside some people say well it's the inside that matters you don't know the heart well there's a truth to that as I mentioned before you can have somebody come into the church service or just a brand new Christian they just don't know you see the the shedding is happening the creature the new creation is coming out so the shedding happens like a tree the shedding happens not instantly on the outside you see but it happens if there's a stunted growth there where no more shedding happens of the old nature the old bark that means life has ceased at that point death has come in and they're deluded thinking that I'm alive but the old nature is still manifest in the way they conduct themselves and the way they look God says don't follow that pattern of the world it's a deception it's deluded it attracts people for bad things don't imitate that you're different don't be a follower of that which is foolish be a leader of that which belongs in the light be righteous 
You show people how it's supposed to be, not follow the mold. We have a tall order from heaven, every Christian, which we are very capable of fulfilling if we're humble to receive correction. See, if the humility is only external, there'll be a nod and a smile and a bow and a yes, pastor, and yes, brother or sister, you're right. But inside there's a defiance there. Might as well say, I don't want to do what you say. I don't like you. I won't listen to you. I don't care what you say. I'll do what I want. It's better to do that than to pretend that I'm, I want to do the right thing when I don't want to. It doesn't mean that that person is guilt-free. One is hiding the rebellion, the other one is manifesting it. But the rebellion is still there. Both will pay for that crime. So, rebellion is a crime. And how does rebellion manifest among the people of God? Pride. Challenging to God. Blaming God. Complaining. The Lord said, that's why I destroyed them. What are you doing repeating that? Paul had to bring out the Exodus story in the Old Testament to warn the Corinthians 1,500 years later. Don't you know what happened to our forefathers? God overthrew thousands of them. The word overthrew is quite an illustrious or illustrative word. It's like walking into a room and picking up the table and just flipping the table with violence. Overthrow. Perhaps in modern day jargon amongst the youth or the people of the world, they'll say body slam. The man just picked up somebody and threw him over, flat on his back. Such are the words God uses when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He overthrew them. Oh, God was angry. Why is God angry? Because people, his own people and people in the vicinity thought that, I love God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I've got him on my mind. But I won't do a thing he says. But I love him. And I know he's mine. He loves me. Because he obeyed God's commandments, so I don't have to. That's a deception of the highest order. The Lord Jesus obeyed his Father because that's his nature of love with his Father. And he's faithful and loyal to his Father. And he's an example for us to do the same thing. He won't obey for us. You see what's crept into the church. And we've spoken about this before. We've heard this before. These heresies. Yet people live this way. May the Lord help us to rejoice in Him for all the miracles He's been doing. Extraordinary things. We had the occasion just last evening, Pastor and I, to share with two strangers until yesterday. And they, they, they were just listening, amazed at the miracles that are happening. God is doing such things. And so it was in Corinth. God's Spirit was moving among those people who were really pressing in and saying, Lord, I don't want to live for me, I want to live for you. Change everything, Lord, you see that needs to be changed. Now granted, as I mentioned, new believers and people who come into a true church, then you're amazed and shocked how much change they need to have. Not because of the church's roles, but because the Spirit of God has opened their eyes. But I need to change a lot of things because it's not right before God. You see, the Word of God is showing it. 
it can take some time. But the main thing is, is my heart right where I want to change? Lord, I may not think this is wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you say it's wrong, Lord, I'm changing it. That's the right attitude. At that point, although the growth is a process and it may take some time, we know the sincere person will grow according to God's time. The Lord says in the Gospel of John, If any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine whether it's from God or I'm speaking on my own. How does that relate to what we're hearing today? Well, any true preacher can say the same thing. What the Lord Jesus said. If anyone wants to follow God, they really are changing their lives to obey God because they love Him, they fear Him. Really. Truly. When they hear words such as we're hearing this morning, it will have an impact. You know why? Because the Word of God is given at a certain time by the Spirit of God to make us better. To help us walk with firmer footing. To help us desire more of God and things of God. Everything that's good for our development. But if someone resists that and they have complaints and hidden agendas and rebellion, well, I'll pick and choose what I want. Then they'll be in deception. But the branch that is going to be connected to the vine and have the full sap coming in, they will be healthy and disease won't touch them. It's the ones that lose connection with the vine. How does that happen? Through pride and disobedience. So it behooves us, our responsibility as believers, each one of us, is to make sure we're connected to the vine. Strong connection by humbly doing what God says. Do you, if you would imagine on Judgment Day, Christians going up to be judged, and here's a woman weeping, Oh, God... You know I love you, God. Thank you, God. Because of you, I lived such and such a life and so many years. And Lord, I loved everybody. You know that, God, don't you? And Lord, I was so humble. You do know that, God, don't you? And God, I was faithful. Can you second that? Motion or emotion, God, sentiment. Oh, they'll have a big list. God, you know I was oppressed. I was beaten down and I had a rough way to go. But I hung in there, God. And Lord, because of you, I made it. Thank you, God. Can I please come in now? What if the words come back from the Savior, depart from me, you rebel? I never knew you. You mean, a, a Christian can say, I'm humble, and God says, you liar? I love everybody, and God says, you liar? I, I, I'm faithful, I, I serve you, Jesus, I bow to you, I, but your heart is far from me. How can that be? That's not a scene we want to see. God said it happens and it will happen. How can we guarantee that we don't become the loser and the joke's not on us on that all-important day when we're at the threshold of heaven and hell? By being real with God. You, you really love everybody? So why would 
why why were we thinking I wish that person gets what he deserves and she deserves and I wish that one was dead and I'm gonna clench my fist and punch the wall and punch this and you're really humble? How come you're not humble with your own family members? You're loyal to me and you bow to me. How come your mind is on money all the time? Your security, your job, your possessions. How come you're so stingy? With God. What if God says those things? Do you know, beloved, a vast majority, according to the scriptures, the majority of people who say that they love Jesus, and they're actually part of groups who claim to worship Jesus, evangelical groups, even spirit-filled groups, they're part of it. But on that day, vast majority of them, according to Scripture, because of a great delusion and falling away, they'll be separated like good fish from the bad fish because God will brand them hypocrites. May none of us, none of us, be truthfully accused of from God who is the truth of being hypocrites. And maybe God will ask another question. You say you love everybody? Did you pray for the salvation of the people who are in your house? Or do you think, ah, oh, I know. They'll come around to it. And I tried, God, you know, I tried. But right now I have to do my nails and to go shopping and the family get together, you know. God, you know I can't force anybody. It's not my job to convert anybody. Only God can do it. Only Holy Spirit can do it, Lord. And that's the reason why I, I don't really cry and pray for them. And If I do, Lord, it's about a couple of minutes here and there. Oh, I have a burden, Lord. I really want them to be saved. It would be so wonderful if they come to church with me. As if coming to church guarantees going to heaven. Oh, the issues are all muddled up. Satan is a master at confounding eternal issues. The Lord had to rebuke his disciples quite a number of times. He had to say, are you still so dull? He had to tell the people who were walking on the road to Emmaus. He said, oh, foolish and slow and hard to believe. He upbraided them. He had to tell them, you're not thinking. You're just going like sheep. who are being led by something else. We are called to exercise all the powers God has given us. You know why? Because God has a wonderful future for every one of us. Satan wants to foul that up. And it comes when we put God second or third or last and then end up looking for God when it's too late. Isn't that why Jesus said? Seek the Lord while he may be found, while he is near. In so many words, he echoed the Old Testament instruction. Yeah, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do the right thing. Let that be your heartbeat. Lord, no matter what, I have to do the right thing by you. God said, for those people, I will do everything for them. Everything. I'll take care of everything. I was watching. I heard a testimony of an ex-prisoner. This man said how he was foolish because he kept putting God off and he promised that, Lord, I'll follow you and and he tried a little here and there and he went back to his old way. 
this man, he must be 60 years old at least, maybe 60 plus, still looks rugged and everything. Down south. He said, I mean, he was just speaking the truth. You can see he's, he's a changed man. He said, God has done so many miracles for me. He said, and this is what he said. He said, goodness and mercy have to follow me all the days of my life. He said, they have no choice. He said, goodness and mercy, they, they have to follow me. Why? Because he said, I'm following God. I'm doing his will. And then he, all of a sudden he started weeping, this big man. Then he started clapping like a little child. He's saying, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. Tears were coming down. Then he composed himself and had a last word of exhortation for the prisoners. Oh, I could see. I could see. There's a real born-again follower of Christ. And he said, look at me. He said, do I look like I'm in prison? He said, God got me out by a miracle. And he said, I'm married. He said, I have everything. I have my freedom. He said, the most important thing is, I love God first, he said. He's my everything. I'm doing his will. In so many words, he was conveying that he's a true follower. You can see the conviction. You can see it's not some made-up thing to pump some people up. He burst out into tears, clapping like a little child, saying hallelujah to the Lord. He was overcome with emotion at the grace of God after so many years. And this is the man that said, goodness and mercy have to follow me. It reflected how strongly he believed in the word of God. Beloved, when we trust God, when we trust Jesus Christ, he can change us and he can bring us back to the center true happiness and everything we come to God for some people come to God for healing some people come to God you know when they don't know God they come for bread and fish they come for finances they come from marital, marital restoration they come for all kinds of reasons family that split Lord would you reconcile my family and God sees all of that God loves, and so he helps the people who are broken, who are searching. But if God solves your problem, and my problem, and I'm happy and I run away, thank you God, thank you God, and I forget God and I go enjoy my blessing, then another problem will come. And perhaps I remember, you know, God solved my old problem, I think I need to go to him again and maybe he'll do it again. And then we're so elated. We're filled with joy. God did it again. He saw me. Oh, he's the real God. And then we forget about him. We don't, we don't follow him. We go enjoy that blessing. There'll come a point in which God will say, you're just using me. How many of us like to be used and abused? Somebody coming to us because we make them happy. And the moment we can't perform or make them happy, you know how many husbands and wives have left each other? Because the other person stopped, quote-unquote, performing. Why? They, they, they can't make me happy anymore, so I guess I have to find someone who can. Oh, what a tragedy. But when it's God's will, and the people are seeking God, the living God, no matter what storm hits that marriage, they hold hands and seek Jesus. And God will make it all right. So what good is it if God solves our problems and we forget about Him and we end up away from Him forever? Wouldn't that be a tremendous shame and waste? Well, perhaps we can relay this to people when we witness to them, maybe even Christians who are not following God. In which case, they're not true Christians. But we may need to be reminded and for those who don't know God, we can tell them, yes, God can solve your problems. He's the problem solver. And as they see their immediate problems solved, which had such a burden 
of weight upon them. Day and night they couldn't sleep because of this problem. And they get relieved. We need to tell them that there's a bigger problem than the problem you thought was the biggest problem. That's the problem of being estranged from God. You're not in his family. And so God is inviting you to come into his family so that he can change you from the inside out. And then, from then on, God will handle everything in your life and he'll put you on that path to tremendous glory and blessing. Well, this morning, in various ways, uh, the definition for a true Christian was given. The definition for real happiness and blessing was described. Brothers and sisters, aren't we told in the book of Hebrews, but exhort, urge one another while it's today, lest in any of you there be an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You see that? Isn't it a blessing that this morning we can hear warnings that are good medicine for the soul so we don't lose track of what we're supposed to be doing in representing God because we're all part of the body of Jesus Christ. And as we make our focus, Lord, I want to honor you and love you. And we talk to him constantly through the day, Jesus, I love you, I need you, Lord, because he's a real person. Lord, help me, Lord. Oh, I bumped my finger over here. It's hurting, Lord. Before I go for the band-aid or the whatever other kind of help, can I say, Jesus, help me, Lord. Please heal this. Why not? And many of us do. Because we know he's the great physician. He's the one that cares for us more than anyone else. It's kind of hard to fathom. When you have someone who really loves you, a human being, how can somebody love me more than that person? Because there's somebody who made that person from whom love originated. God Almighty. So the connection with God becomes stronger as we talk to Him continually and as we read His Word and ask the Lord to bring light into our mind. Lord, help me to understand this. And then when that understanding comes, it brings light into our hearts and we're able to see that which is darkness more clearly and avoid it. God loves us and he wants the best for us. I want to tell you because I grew up with a a disease, the asthma. It shattered my world. I was very confident as a child. But during that period of suffering, I felt like a nobody. Because I was suffering, struggling to breathe, and while all my, while all my friends were playing and laughing and running, I couldn't anymore. God separated me during that time, and he taught me valuable things as a child and adolescent. But, you know, it brought a negative thinking into my mind. It had a very serious side effect, that kind of suffering, where I began to doubt things and had a level of uncertainty and anxiety and worry, which I never had before. Questions will come up for a child and adolescent. Am I going to live? How long will I live? And what's my future going to be like? And, And... Who really cares about me and I can't be with people? Who am I going to marry? Oh, what a burden. Year after year praying, others praying, got to the point where I thought, is it ever going to solve? I don't know. And then I would read here and there, visiting the libraries of certain people who had terrible asthma when they were very young and they become became athletes and swimmers and actors and and then they ended up dying from the same thing. It came back in the end. So that gave another worry. So I began to 
project my life according to my immediate disability and other people's negative experience and a negative outlook on everything came and could never be happy because I was worried until that glorious day, powerful day many years ago when I got healed everything opened up at that time I thought oh God all things are, all things are possible he touched my body he set me free now I have a whole world open to me that God can do so much more for me but I understood that I didn't deserve it I understood that God was communicating something to me have faith again don't doubt and so we can have this in our psyche, in our thinking, because of negative experiences and trauma and all such things that I have this cynicism and doubt about everything and worry. And the Lord says, you don't have to worry anymore. I'm taking over. All that you need, I will provide. I'll be your Heavenly Father. Oh, what a freedom. What a freedom. What a difference I sense. Truly, I can see myself changing on the inside. The way I think, it was a big catalyst, that healing. It wasn't just the healing of the body. It was the healing of the soul, the mind, the spirit. But then there was a process where I needed to continually hear the word of faith from the Bible so that faith can overtake all the worry till completely free because I've seen too many miracles I've seen God do so much for me that I never would have dreamed I found out I can trust my Heavenly Father I can trust the Lord there's nothing He won't solve in my life provided I put Him first I love Him first really from the heart and talk to Him because He's alive May the Lord bless you. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're alive. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Hallelujah. All our sins He washes away. If you have anything you want to confess to God, you know you didn't do right before God maybe before your own conscience or maybe you did something that you didn't even know you did wrong but maybe the Lord has helped you to see that this morning if we need to get right with God he can make it right in a split second less than a second Say, Father, I'm sorry, Lord, for this attitude. I'm sorry, Lord, for overstepping this or doing that, Lord, or not doing my part here, Lord. Oh, Father, Lord, I'm sorry for worrying, Lord. I, I haven't treated you as God. I'm still testing the waters. Forgive me, Lord. How can I test the waters before God? You called me to trust you. Lord, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. I choose to believe you, Lord, that you will part my Red Sea. Hallelujah. As you've done for others, so you do for me. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Say such words to the Lord. Hallelujah. As we set ourselves apart for God, say, Lord, only what you want, God, because you are perfect. You know the end from the beginning. You know how everything will turn out. So I trust you, Lord. I want you to help me with every choice. And Lord, every problem I face, I know there's nothing you cannot do. Please help me so that I can magnify your name, glorify you, Lord, and live for you. Lord, I commit myself to you to do your will. I know that you take failures and you turn them into victors. You take people who are beat down and oppressed You make them sit at your table, Lord. And you throw a feast for them. Yes, you do, Lord. 
The anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. As their brother said, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to God. Praise the Lord. If anybody would like to pray, before we conclude, you can. Amen.